Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. So this is the last sermon in our series uh, on the book of Proverbs. And we've covered lots of different topics. So do you think that we saved the best one for last? Well, we certainly saved the hottest one, didn't we? Yeah. So we're talking about sex and beauty. This morning, do you think that we might need some wisdom in that area? Well, let's do so. Okay, take your, uh, why don't you stand and we're going to read God's word together. Uh, selected passages from Proverbs 5, 30, 11, and, and, and 6. Um, this is the word of the Lord. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is as bitter as wormwood, and her feet go down to death. And at the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you will say, how I hated discipline. My heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. So drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. And then Proverbs 30. Three things are too wonderful for me. Four, I do not understand. The way of the eagle in the sky. The way of the serpent on the rock. The way of the ship on the high seas. And the way of a man with a virgin. This is the way of the adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. Proverbs 11. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Proverbs 6. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? He who commits adultery lacks sense and he who does it destroys himself. This is the reading of God's very word. And every bit of it is true. And he gives it to us because he loves us, but also because we need wisdom. Amen. You may be seated. So sex and beauty dominate our culture. And there's so much confusion about it. 
A vast majority of couples actually have sexual intimacy before they're married. Why? Well, because they're sinners, but also because they don't understand what sex is really about. Men look at pornography at addictive levels. Why? Well, they're sinners, but also because they don't understand what the body is for. We have something called gender confusion. (laughs) They're confused. L-G-B-T-Q+. Why are there so many letters? Why is there a plus on the end? Could it be because no one really knows what sex and gender is all about? Now, let's take beauty. I want you to be honest here. If you could pick between being wise or being physically attractive all of your life, which would you choose? You see, everything in our world screams at us every day that beauty trumps wisdom. Beauty is a $160 billion a year global industry. Body improvement is the fastest growing industry in the world. But our culture's obsession with sex and beauty has left a wake of hurt and shame and guilt and death and addictions and eating disorders and STD. And maybe the worst of all, a sex slave industry. And the distortions and abuse have dehumanized many of us. Everybody in this room has been impacted by the the distortions of sex and beauty. And we desperately need wisdom, don't we? I mean, I'm up here preaching on sex. Do you think I need some wisdom? Well, God gives it to us in his word. Take your sermon outline. First, the temptation of undervaluing sex. Proverbs is written to young men. It's a father-to-son, man-to-man conversation. Women are not addressed directly. Young men are the intended audience. But because it's wisdom literature, we know that applications can be and should be made in both directions. We know that men and women both misuse their bodies and misuse sex. And so the sage is telling us that that we are to fight off sexual temptation through the gift of romantic love in marriage. But what is shocking here is that it's so erotic. In fact, if we're honest, it's, it's smoking hot what the Bible says. There was a pastor one time and he was preaching on these passages And um, as he was reading the Bible and and preaching from the scriptures, there was a group of women on the front row that had their Bibles open, and they're doing this as he's preaching, and they kept doing this. Like, is this really in the Bible? Yeah, it's really in the Bible. Verse 15, cistern or well is a reference to female sexuality. The well was something you had to enter into to get water from. 
Verse 18, the word fountain is a direct reference to male sexuality. And then verse 19. The wife's breast is something that the husband is encouraged to be intoxicated with, drunk in pleasure over his bride's body. In the Song of Solomon, we see that the wife literally breaks into a song singing that sex with her husband is better than the finest wine. Now, what does all this mean? It means that lovemaking in marriage is to be understood as deeply satisfying and able to quench a legitimate God-made thirst for physical pleasure. Then in verse 16, he says, you don't, let, don't overflow into the streets. This is a reference to casual sex. You know, out in the streets, outside of marriage, he's saying it's foolish, it's destructive. You're wasting a beautiful gift. Don't be an idiot with a stranger. What we have here in these verses is a combination of attitudes and content that's just not combined in many cultures. You really have a, a liberal view and a conservative view rolled together because you have this bare-faced enjoyment of sexual pleasure, but sex is to be inside of marriage and it's not prudish or uptight or narrow in any way. And of course, verse 18 might be the most staggering thing of all because it's a prayer. Verse 18 is a prayer requesting that God would bless the fountain, male sexuality, so that sex will be full. I mean, it's a prayer. Is the air condition working in here? <laughs> but there's no prudishness. It's celebration, celebration of the covenant, the commitment. This is an extraordinarily high view of sexuality and marriage and marriage itself. You have to understand something. When the book of Proverbs was written, people only got married for two reasons. One, social standing, to raise their status in the community. And two, was to bear children. That's it. Nobody got married for a romantic love. Nobody got married for friendship or companionship. But what we have here is two friends Crazy in love and encouraged to be so. In fact, earlier in the book of Proverbs, the spouse is referred to as an intimate friend. And this goes right in the teeth of every culture at the time. Why? Because if your wife is your best friend and you're crazy in love with her, then it implies equality. Proverbs was written at a time when there was not a culture on the earth where men thought equality with women was something to be valued. But the woman here is described as best friend, intimate companion, equality. This is the highest, most loftiest view of sexuality and marriage possible. Now, we all know that throughout church history, sometimes the church has been dead wrong about sex and marriage because they're not, they're not reading the Bible. One church historian said this. He said, the view of the Catholic church 
throughout the Middle Ages was that sexual love itself was evil. And it did not cease to be so if its object was one's spouse. You know what the Roman church started doing? The Roman church started adding days to the calendar, adding days to the calendar when marital sex was prohibited. So if you were married, you were not allowed to have sex on certain days of the calendar. And they kept adding days until it was almost over a half of the year. I mean, no wonder there was a reformation, right? There was a pastor in Texas a few years back, and he told his congregation, he told the married couples in his church, I want you guys to have uh, marital sex for seven days in a row. And he was encouraging his congregation for all the couples to enjoy sex in marriage. And he told one of the reporters, he said, we're going to be the happiest church on the planet. Now, you might think that's crazy, right? But it's actually closer to what the Bible is actually teaching. That marriage is a place for sensual, full enjoyment of sex. And Christians are to lead the way. Proverbs is saying that married couples should be working towards making their sexual intimacy sizzling. It's saying that's wisdom. Now, it's self-giving love. It's not self-taking love. So it doesn't mean you can be demanding It doesn't mean you can stay cold. It doesn't mean that you can be uh, selfish about it. But the wisdom is, stoke those fires. Then we come to to Proverbs 30, and we see this shocking contrast between the beauty of marital love and the crassness of sex outside of marriage. It's a poem in Proverbs 30, and he talks about the eagle on the rock, and and, and, the, and uh, I'm sorry, the snake on the rock and the eagle in the sky and the, and the ship on the high seas. And, and all of them are these, these images of wonder, of, of soaring, of power, of beauty. But then he says the wonder of all wonders is human sexuality and the pleasure in marriage. Then he shifts to this contrast. Here it is in Proverbs 30, 20. He says this, but the way of the adulteress is that she eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. And it's meant to be jarring. It's meant to be shocking and a distasteful comparison. Because instead of this sailing and this wonder and this beauty in marriage, it's sloppy. It's eating. It's consuming. It's just raw appetite. I'm just getting my needs met. And notice the arrogant, brutish declaration of innocence. I've done nothing wrong. I'm just getting what I want. And this is devastating in our culture. This is causing a dehumanizing cycle. If sex is cheapened to appetite and consuming, do you understand that it impacts all other kinds of relationships? If the greatest act of intimacy is treated cheaply, 
then other relationships by nature will be downgraded. So your relationships with your friends and your coworkers and your neighbor will all start to shift towards a consumer relationship. To where if they're giving you what you want, you stay in friendship, you work with them. But if they don't, you cut them off. Where did we get the cancel culture? Cancel culture is a consumer culture. Suddenly your neighbor has a different political view than you. Done. See, in a product vendor relationship, the product comes to you at a certain price. If you don't like it, then you go to a different place. But the problem with sex is is that sex is so intimately connected to the deepest parts of who you are. So commodity sex without giving yourself, your whole self, dehumanizes you. And it turns us into verse 20, defiant and aggressively consuming. Sex outside of marriage is reduced to an exchange of products, not an exchange of self. The Proverbs is really saying that you know, it's, it's really, it's really going to be, it's going to tilt one way or the other. Either it's going to be soaring and, and wonder and growing in intimacy uh, in your marriage or it's going to be reduced to a consumer relationship. She wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. Now, some people object in our culture and even in the church. They'll say, no, listen, I, I know people who are really, I know people who are not married and they're really committed to one another. But even people in those relationships retain the right to wipe their mouth. If it doesn't go according to their taste, then they leave. Second, let's look at the temptation of overvaluing sexual beauty. Proverbs 11, verse 22, talks about a gold ring in the snout of a pig. I mean, just a really hilarious verse, okay? So the beautiful ring is equated to a beautiful woman. And the beautiful gold ring is attached to the snout of a pig, which is meant to be offensive and disgusting. And so the idea is, is that here you see a gold ring and you, you're drawn to it. You're drawn to the beauty of it and you reach for it, but you don't really see the pig. And the proverb is saying, you're a fool. If physical beauty is the ultimate end and it's all you see, then you're going to get a mess. Focusing on physical beauty without discretion is like chasing down to catch a gold ring in the snout of a pig. And he's saying this, he's saying that what's on the inside of a person matters more than what's on the outside. The person's character matters more than their outward appearance. And it's just silly to be distracted by the outside and not see the hog. The overvaluing of external beauty, physical appearance is like getting a pig with a gold ring and being proud of it. And men and women are both guilty. But 22, verse 22 that we read, is really a slam on men. It's a slam on men who value women too much based upon their physical attraction. since it's foolish. So I'm going to give men a test. It's kind of a fun test. Okay. Next time you're out in public, you know, maybe you're at the airport or you're at a, a big place where there's lots of people. Just get to a place where you can watch 
other men. Watch other men watching women. Okay? And watch them value some women because they look the way they think they should look and devalue or ignore other women because they don't please them. And just watch the other men do it. Now, why don't I ask women to do that? Because they already know it. They already know that men do this all the time. They see this all the time. And it erodes their trust in men. And it also erodes their, it it, uh, erodes their, damages their own self-regard. Overvaluing beauty gets, it fuels brokenness in men and women. Men valuing women based on their looks, pulling the gold ring to themselves, dehumanizes women. And women finding too much of their worth in trying to be beautiful or, or trying to look a certain way. Slaves to our culture in every way. 50% of 13-year-old girls are very unhappy with their bodies. And this number goes to 80% when they're 17 and 18 years old. It's like Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat, all those social media platforms. You know what they have? They have these high-tech filters. And with a few simple clicks, you can change your appearance it's called, it's called augmented reality or digital beautifiers. Okay, here's a picture of a, of, a, of a young girl doing it on her social media platform. Same person. Just put those filters on your own picture. Now, what happens when she did this on her social media platform? What happened? Well, all her friends are going to go like, oh, my gosh, you look gorgeous. That's amazing. I can't believe that. Like, 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 like. And with every like, what does it validate in her soul? That I'm not pretty. I'm not valued unless I do a lot of stuff to myself. No wonder since the advent of the smartphone... We've had a mental health crisis among women who never think they're enough. But really, every woman feels this pressure no matter what your age. Overvaluing beauty also dehumanizes men. It dehumanizes men through pornography. A growing number of men are addicted to porn. Their souls are eaten up by it. They're enslaved by it. You know, the prodigal son, he ran off, right? He ran off and left his family. And what did he do? He, he spent all his money on women and he was engaged in all kinds of lust and sexual activity. But where did he end up? Where did he end up living? With the pigs. 70% of American men view porn once a month. It's shocking. Do you know what else is shocking? The percentage is the same for women who find their identity in how they look. And it dehumanizes them. It's the same idolatry dehumanizing both genders. And the Proverbs is about wisdom and foolishness. And the wisdom is given because foolishness is so destructive. And the wisdom on sex and beauty, it's not given to, uh, to, uh, to, um, to, go, to, wag your, to wag its finger at you and go, you better be good. You better obey the rules. 
You better be a good little boy and girl. No, that's not why it's given. It's given because it's a matter of life and death. Everything you care about is on the line. Proverbs tells us that if we're fools regarding sex and beauty, that we will groan. We will be burned by it. We will come to ruin. And of course, the cost to women is a long list. Eating disorders, anxiety, self-loathing, shame, abusing of their bodies. I mean, we are witnessing an entire generation of girls, as we said, who hate themselves because they're not pretty, they think. Porn has an addictive power. Pornography rewires your brain. It takes you prisoner. And the Bible is saying that men who use it are like an ox being led to slaughter. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and not get burned? You know, I've never had a man come into my office uh, and, and say this to me. Pastor, I've committed adultery and lust by looking at pornography over and over. And I'm so glad I did. It's one of the best choices I ever made in my life. I mean, it's just improved my life so much. It's never happened. But men do come to me and other pastors all the time to talk about their addiction to pornography and they groan. They're in misery. One man came to me and his groaning was to the tune of $55,000 that he had spent on pornography in a year and a half. At the end of your life, you will groan. Lord Byron was a poet. He was like a bad boy celebrity of the 19th century. And Lord Byron was one of those guys that everybody kind of envied. He envied his fame and his ability with women. On his 36th birthday, all alone, he wrote this. My days are in the yellow leaf. The flowers and fruit of love are gone. The worm, the canker, and the grief are mine alone. In other words, I'm 36. I'm all alone. I already feel old. And all I've got is VD and depression. True story, this company uh, sent this businessman on a out-of-town business trip, and this businessman got to uh, the city of his destination and got to his hotel room, and he called a call girl. And uh, so the call girl comes to his hotel room, she knocks on the door, and this businessman opens the door, and it is his daughter. And immediately, He felt chest pains, like having a heart attack. And he lived, but he never recovered. Sexual folly carries consequences. And God is being honest with us. He wants us to walk in wisdom in the brothel of this modern world. And so men, can we talk? Do you struggle with pornography? Lots of men do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to email me this week and tell me about it. It's completely confidential. No one sees my emails but me. It's time to get honest. 
It's time to ask for help. But what if you're like a church leader, a small group leader? What about that? Listen, I'm not going to be shocked. I will not be shocked at who I get an email from. Because you see, the thing that's not shocking is sin. That you're a sinner, that I'm a sinner. That's not shocking. You know what's what's shocking? It's God's grace for sinners. That's shocking. That in our sin, that he would run to us with his mercy. So I hope I get 200 emails by the end of the week. That's my hope, 200 emails. And that would be awesome. You know why it would be awesome? Because it would be men looking for freedom, looking for Jesus. And that's beautiful. All of us have been impacted by what we have done and what's been done to us. There is a tsunami of destruction that is slamming our modern world. So what do we do? Do we just need to try harder? Do we need to be more condemning to those who fail? Do we need, do we need more willpower? Do we need to teach our kids more? Do we need to just say, just say no? No, we need a power to come into our life. The healing power of the beautiful one, Isaiah 53. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one whom men would hide their face. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. The word for beauty in this passage is the same word used in a positive sense to describe the wonder of the physical beauty of Rachel in the story of Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. Remember the story? Jacob was your typical guy who had messed up his life. He ran from his family. Now he's working for Laban. And Laban had two daughters, Rachel and Leah. And Rachel was gorgeous. She was beautiful in appearance and form. She was the homecoming queen. And Jacob believed, if I could just have Rachel as my wife, then all would be well. I would be healed. He thought, if I could merge with her beauty, I wouldn't feel so bad about myself. I'd feel good about myself. He wanted Rachel He didn't want Leah. Leah was homely to him. I mean, Leah really was the girl that nobody wanted because her dad didn't want her either. But then Laban, as you know, tricks Jacob. He tricks him into marrying Leah. And you know what Jacob does with Leah the rest of her life? He ignores her. She was the girl that nobody wanted except God. God chose Leah to be the one that through her seed would come the Messiah. Jesus deliberately comes not as Rachel, but as Leah. Christ comes to us as the un-Rachel. He comes to us not as the beauty queen, 
not as the guy with all the status and all the fame and the six pack of abs. He comes as the one nobody wanted, the one who men would hide their face, the one who had no beauty, no appearance that would be drawn to him. Now, why did he do this? To show us real beauty. And we killed him because he had no beauty, because he had no credentials. We cast him aside, but he chose to make himself nothing, to make himself unbeautiful. And he enters into a world that was obsessed with power and beauty. And he came and he died for us. He died for you. And it wasn't because you were cute. And it wasn't because you had anything to offer him. It wasn't because you were a winner. He died for you to make you beautiful. As Paul says, to make you radiant. Radiant, spotless, and without wrinkle. But how how was Jesus able to do this? Well, Isaiah 53 also tells us, we didn't read this part, but it says the Messiah, verse 10, would see the results of his suffering and rejoice. See the results of his suffering and be satisfied. And so Jesus endured the losing of his beauty, going to the cross, but what kept him going? To face the wrath of God, to face all the ugliness of sin, to bear it all, to be consumed by it. Some of y'all might remember during the Vietnam War, okay? Some of y'all were there. But during the Vietnam War, it was very common for soldiers to take their helmet off during non-battle times, take their helmet off, and just look inside of it. What were they looking at? Soldiers would put pictures of their girlfriend or their wife or their family inside their helmet. Because during the darkness and the ugliness and the horror of war, they had to remember what they were fighting for. And when Jesus endured the wrath of the cross, he was looking at you. You are the results of his sufferings. You are the thing that his joy was about. Christ saw us to make us beautiful. And when we see this and when we soak in the gospel, then it can break our obsession with sex and beauty. You know why? Because you can truly say, I am loved. I'm cherished. I'm beautiful. You can say, you, can say, you know, God, God really gets a kick out of me. He just can't take his eye off of me. He's just wild about me. And, and, and you can say, I'm going to be resurrected someday. And I'm going to have a glorified body. He had no beauty or majesty that we should notice him. But he had the only beauty that could transform our lives. And if we merge our brokenness with his beauty then the beautiful one will bring us healing in the now and the not yet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
A lot of us weren't breathing much during this sermon because there's a lot of pain in this room. There's a lot of regret. There's a good bit of sorrow on what we've done with our bodies, our eyes, our pain. But Jesus, you are the beautiful one. Would you speak healing and hope and grace to my friends this morning? Would their tears over their past be tears of joy because they can't believe that you would love the way you love? Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.